Good morning. Thank you for being here. I, uh, I do this thing every week, because, and it's for you guys. I kneel down right here during the video because I just want you to be able to see the video. Last week, somebody's like, hey, Nathan, don't know if you realize this. You don't need to do that. <laughs> and I just took that as them reassuring me, not ripping on me, but you know who you are. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> so, well, we are in the fourth and final week of a series that we've been going through called Before You Began. And the whole idea behind it is that before you ever set foot on this earth, before you ever took your first breath, there are some things that God did and God allowed that are core elements of your and my identity. And as we've walked through those, you know, there was the creation in his image. Sin created a distortion of that image. And then last week we talked about God made a decision to redeem that image. But this fourth piece is, is one that as I thought about it, I couldn't think about it without thinking about a cruise that my wife and I went on last year. Uh, remember cruises? Remember those? It's kind of like sports last week. Remember sports? There are all these... Remember what that was like to, in, to engage in those things? Well, we went on this cruise last week, or last week. We did not go on a cruise last week. Last year. And if you've ever been on a cruise, before you even get out of port, they have everybody go up on the deck, and it's kind of like the pre-flight speech about the oxygen mask. So you're on the deck. They're telling you where the boat, the rescue boats are, how to put on a life vest, all these things. And we're in the middle of hearing this speech, and in the pod of people next to us, I hear a thud. And I looked over and there's this guy laying on the ground. And immediately I noticed something. Most people jumped back and stared and watched. But about 30 seconds in, there was one, one person who came in very calmly and knelt down and said, I'm a doctor, let me see what's going on. Well, it turned out guy was fine. It was like when you're at a wedding and you see somebody lock their knees for too long and they fall over. Well, a few hours later, Kara and I are at dinner, and we're, we're, we go into the dining room, and we're on like the second floor of the dining room. So they put us right on the railing here, and you could see the floor below where all those dining tables were. And there's this guy laying on the ground, and I went, what? This is day one of the cruise. What is, what is waiting for us? And so I look down there, and there, again, there's a crowd standing back, and some people kneeling around, and they're working on him, and suddenly we hear, hey, 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 and it's our waiter on this side of us. And he's like, don't pay attention. That guy's just trying to make a scene and he just wants attention. And I went, what? What is wrong with you? Yes, I'm going to make sure he's okay. And as I thought about that, one, I thought, if we walk through this cruise ship and I see Titanic playing on a TV screen, we're getting off this boat, hon. But it was a picture to me, just the wide, broad spectrum of what we'd seen that afternoon and that night of really three groups of people. See, there are those people that want to help and they actually know what to do. And then there are those people that whether the waiter didn't want to help or he just wanted to distract, that are really wanting to distract from the need for help. And then I believe there's a much broader, higher number of us at some point in time that we really want to help and we don't know what to do. And so we stand back. And what is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. It is absolutely true in the spiritual realm. As we look around, I'm sure you can think of faces and names right now that you recognize around you. They need help. And, and, and it's on a spiritual level. 
See, what is that thing in us that wants to come to the aid of other people and wants to help people? It's the fourth piece of what God put in us before we began. Creation, there was sin's distortion, there was his redemption, and there's mission. And when mission is working, it is something to behold. When God engages that thing in us that wants to go to other people's aid and to help them, it's an incredible thing. In fact, there's a well-known story. Uh, it's, it's an encounter Jesus had with a woman at a well that we're going to look at this morning. But let me just give you the beginning and the end before we talk about the middle of it. The beginning of it, Jesus walks into a place called Samaria. Now, if you know anything about the background between Jews and Samaritans, this was not a popular choice. In fact, we read in Scripture, Jesus could have gone a few different routes back to where he was going, and he chose to go through Samaria. He said, it said he had to go through Samaria. There was something in Samaria that Jesus needed to do, and this encounter was one of them. So he sits down at this well, and he's tired. The disciples leave him to go to lunch, and here comes this woman by herself, and we learn it was about noon. Now, I want you to think about that area of the world at noon, under the sun. Why would she be there in that moment? Because, see, women in that culture did things in groups. And they would do that in the morning or at night because to carry a water jug in the heat of the day is just not something any of us would choose to do. So why would she come in the middle of the day? And as we'll find out as we look at the conversation, it's because there were some things going on in her life that if she thought about her life and if she could look in a mirror, she'd have a hard time looking in a mirror. And she didn't want anybody to know or see her. And yet, there's Jesus at, a, at the perfect time in the perfect place to talk with her. And when you look at how Jesus dealt with this woman, you realize this is how Jesus deals with, one, with each of us. And when we, de- when we realize he's dealt with us that way, it informs how we deal with every single person in our lives. And you realize that mission is not just this short-term temporary thing. Mission is actually walking next to somebody as they come to a fuller and fuller and ultimately full realization of who Jesus really is. And so now, as we've thought about the beginning of the story, the end of the story, let me just tell you, at the end of this conversation, she actually leaves her water jar, the thing that she came to get, runs back to the town she's from, and she, this woman who didn't want to be seen by anybody now has told everybody, come see him. Come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? But she did not start there. She started where you've started. And she started where many people, as you think about those faces and names that you want to help, she started where they start. And so it only makes sense that we would walk through this conversation and just watch and learn from what Jesus did with this woman if we ever want to be truly helpful and come to the aid and the rescue of those in our lives who need help. So let me take you to John chapter 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, this is a weird question, isn't it? Because Jesus, you're God, and you have all things, and you have access to all things. Why would you ask her for water? It says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, not only was she thinking you're Jewish and I'm Samaritan, but you're a man and I'm a woman, and, and men don't give women the time in this culture. And what she's actually noticing are the differences. All she can see is the separation between her and Jesus. And for her, it was, it was a gender thing, but it was also a racial thing. All she could see was the separation. Have you been there? Where you look at Jesus and you look at you and then you look back at Jesus and you look at you and you go, oh, we're so far apart. We're so separated. And, and I'm sure you've been there, but there are people in your life that very, very well could be there. And oftentimes in this stage, people are very suspicious of God. They think he can't possibly mean good for me. He can't possibly want more for me. He's just separate. And we don't really go there with one another. That's really this first stage that people can land in. Now, interestingly, there are times in my life where I think about walking next to people in this place and it's uncomfortable. And so you know what happens? All right, that's how they're going to live their life, and I'm going to go live my life this way, and we part ways. Not Jesus. Watch what Jesus does with the conversation. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, she came for physical water, and Jesus is taking this deeper. He's talking about a different kind of water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? The name of this well was actually Jacob's well. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And at this point, I don't know. I have to wonder if Jesus was thinking, okay, she still doesn't get it. She doesn't get that I'm talking about something different here. And oftentimes that's one of our exit points for a conversation with somebody, isn't it? Okay, we're not getting each other, so you go your direction, I'll go my direction. Not Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I wanna, I wanna draw you to a word that she's used twice now. He's moved from just totally separate from her to, did you see the word she used? Sir. Okay, do you remember the first time you got called sir or ma'am? Oh, I was like, I'm officially old. I'm officially old. We used to work with teenagers and it was Nathan. And I always prefer Nathan even now, because why? Because sir is like arm's length. But when you use my name, that's personal, that's intimate. But I remember even years ago when I looked, uh, when I looked like I was 25, but I looked like I was 13. And anyway, we were leading junior high youth group and this kid came up in the context in which he used sir, I just went, yep, that's it right there. He said, sir, and I said, don't ever call me that again or you're never coming back here, okay? Sir, how much does it cost to come to youth group? I said, nothing. Like, you, you can just come. 
we don't, we don't have like dues or you don't have to pay a monthly fee. Now that I think back, totally should have done that. But anyway, you don't have to pay anything. And he said, thank you, sir. <laughs> I just went, okay, one more warning and you're not coming back. But this is the context in which we use that word. Sir is almost contractual. You do something for me and I'll do something for you. And the woman here, you'll, you'll hear in a moment, she's gonna use sir even a third time. But she has progressed from just seeing the separation, male, female, Jew, Samaritan, to now sir. And that's where a lot of us live. And that's where a lot of the people in our lives live. What can Jesus do for me? And when we ask that question, we think physical and we think fleshly and we think earthly level. We think materially. What can Jesus do for me? And Jesus, recognizing that she still didn't get fully who he was, he's now going to hang in the conversation and he's going to move this along. Verse 16, he told her, go. And this is not... This is not, as I read this, the recommended starting point, but here he goes. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, and now, now she's moving to a different perception of him. I can see that you, are a prophet. See, this was her way of saying, ouch, but you're right. Ouch, but you're right. And you know, this is the piece that it took her hearing the truth in order to go another level in another stage of perception of Jesus. And this is the piece that I believe is the danger in Christianity, especially now, because we shy away from truth. We think that is no way to win people. That's no way to, to talk to anybody, to deal with somebody's soul. But Jesus is doing something here that we'll see in a moment. But, but, but before we get there, isn't it true that we would expect if we'd never read this story before, that that would be her exit point? Oh, wow. Like, you just went there, Jesus. I'm gonna go my direction, you go your direction. And yet he recognized when she said, I see you're a prophet. You know what's happened there? conviction. You know whose work conviction is? We speak the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. But oftentimes in Christian circles, we either avoid the truth or we drop the truth and then we get out. Because as my daughter calls it, it's very cringy. It's cringy. These are like cringeworthy moments. But Jesus is getting at something. In order for her to understand her need for a savior, he's got to convict her with the truth of where she's at. And he's got to do that with every single one of us and every single person in our lives. The question is, can we hang in there as she moves from separate from Jesus to a sir relationship with Jesus to now he's one who sees everything? That's hard for us, isn't it? In fact, what ensues, she says, I can see you're a prophet. And then she does this thing that we all do to avoid the cringy moment. She takes the conversation on a detour and she starts saying, well, and I've recognized you Jews worship in one spot and we Samaritans, we worship in another spot. And she's really just derailing the conversation. She's trying to take it anywhere but talking about her, her life and the truth of her life. 
And oftentimes, you know what we do? We let people do that, not Jesus. Jesus says she's trying to take a detour and I'm gonna use it as a doorway. And we're not gonna read it right now because it's a whole sermon in and of itself. But he says, you know what? There's a time coming where the true worshipers will worship not just in truth and not just in spirit, but in truth and in spirit. That if you wanna come before God and you wanna be right with God, we worship. First, having been convicted of his truth by the Holy Spirit and in spirit. And after all this conversation and kind of this side detour that you go, why'd the conversation go there? The woman says something, the woman says something that we've got to watch for in every single one of our conversations. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And this was the moment. This was the moment that Jesus recognized that something had happened in her heart. She'd moved from fully separate from him to this sir relationship and perception of him to this seemingly judge who sees everything to now savior. And it's in that moment, Jesus declared this. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow. See, this is a conversation that while Jesus was able to make it happen in a few minutes, seemingly, probably less than the time it's taken us to read through it, this is a conversation that has various time frames to it. And it could happen in a few minutes. But if it's based on, you know, as I look back at my own life, this is a conversation that really takes place over days, weeks, months, and years. From separate to sir, to one who sees it all, to the one who is savior of my soul. Now, here's the thing that you don't see here. You don't see him just pop in and say, oh, you're a sinner, later. That, that, that wouldn't have gone well. And that doesn't go well. But instead, he hangs in there and he hangs in there and he hangs in there. I mean, just think about the things he does. He goes to a place where she would be. Notice she's not in church. He goes to where she would be at a time she would be there and talks about her needs. And then he hangs with her as she misunderstands who he is. And she takes things on detours and she tries to distract. I gotta be honest, that sounds exhausting to walk next to, doesn't it? Do you not have those people in your life that this process would just be exhausting? Now, why can Jesus do it? And don't give me, because he's Jesus, Nathan. That's, <laughs> that, that is one answer, yes, and it is very right. But Jesus can hang in there with her because he doesn't need anything from her. See, Jesus has had his thirst satisfied. He's had his thirst quenched by his heavenly father. The reason Jesus can hang in even when she doesn't get it, even when she's coming to a fuller realization of who he is and not leave the conversation is because his thirst has been quenched by somewhere other than this earth or other human beings. Let me take you back to verse 14. Listen to what he says. Indeed, the water I give them will become, there's this little word we zoom past, in them. See, she thought the water was outside of her. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And you see something here that quenched people can continue in the conversation. See, if I'm parched, I can't hang with people very long. I can't stay with them as they misunderstand who Jesus is and as they do their detours and all that. I just get exhausted. But Jesus would say, when you're quenched, then you can do what I've just done here. You can put your arm around somebody, even when all they see is separate from Jesus or a sir relationship with Jesus or even see him as a judge. You can hang with them long enough for them to have their eyes open to who he is. This is why in the pre-flight speech, they say, look, before you go help them, put on your oxygen mask first. I did an EMT class not, uh, not long out of high school. And one day we were talking about water rescues and they said, if you're swimming out to somebody who's flailing in the water, let them stop flailing. And that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? But the whole point of that is if you go to them when they're flailing and they hit you in the nose, break your nose, knock you out, now you both need help. In a similar light, Jesus, Jesus understood and modeled for us when you're quenched and your inner thirst is quenched by your heavenly father, then you can hang in there in your conversations with the parched. See, the whole emphasis of John's gospel, you know what it is? One of the major themes of it is belief. Belief. And what we're seeing here is a progression through stages of greater and greater belief and more accurate perception of who Jesus is. But a lot of times, we check out of the conversation and walking next to people before that happens. I told you, after this conversation, this woman runs back to the town and she starts telling everybody, why can she do that? Because she's been quenched. Something has happened in her heart, belief. Oftentimes we look for outer signs like words or, or just mainly words, right? But oftentimes, and what Jesus is getting at is what he says a couple chapters later. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them. This is the work of the heart. And before the mouth can ever say it, God's got to do it in the heart. And so if you're watching or if you're sitting here and, and you know Jesus, uh, but you're, you, you haven't quite called him Savior, you know, that's okay. Because we want to walk next to you. And you got to know that Jesus, your Savior, walks next to you. Because sometimes belief happens in a few minutes, but oftentimes it's weeks and months and years down the road. It's so interesting. Now, quenched people can continue in the conversation, but there's another thing at work here. Parched people lose perspective. Enter the disciples. The disciples show up in the middle of all this, and it's just like because you just missed this conversation, guys, you just kind of missed it all. And what you see in the disciples is often something that we see in us when we look in the mirror. Listen to what the disciples do. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, though they likely thought, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? In other words, for them, they only wanted to engage similarities. They wanted to say she needs to look like us, think like us, believe like us. They were only interested in engaging those similar to them. A few verses later, another element comes up. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. 
And they no doubt missed that Jesus who was tired when they left him was likely very invigorated now as a result of this conversation with this woman. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could somebody have brought him food? See, they wanted to only engage similarities and they had the wrong priorities. And then Jesus says something to him that unearths a third thing going on in him. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? In other words, don't we have time, Jesus? Can't we get to her later? Can't we get to people later? Because we've got other priorities right now. We need to like eat physical food. And they had no urgency. They were looking for similarities. They had the wrong priorities and they had no urgency. Jesus continued, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And he's saying this as a whole town of Samaritans are coming down the road because the woman, because of her conversation with Jesus said, you gotta come meet this guy. And as they're coming down the road, he's saying to his disciples, open your eyes because the harvest is now. In fact, here they come down the street. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. If I could speak to, just for a moment, to those of us who we follow Jesus and, and the church, oftentimes we're a lot like the disciples, aren't we? We look for similarities, we shift our priorities, and we forget about urgency when it comes to going to help people. There's a book called When Helping Hurts. And in this book, they talk about America is the only country in the world where we define poverty in strictly material terms. And it's a book about Christian missions, whether it's right down the street, right next door or across the world, that oftentimes what we do is we go take money and we go take food and we build shelter, all necessary good things. But what we forget is the peace that happens here with Jesus and this woman. To be able to walk next to somebody as belief grows and as God does the work of the heart. Oftentimes we miss that. We miss the relationship piece. You wanna, you wanna know where belief grows? In relationship. And while we look for people to say the words that Christ is savior, we sometimes forget that God's at work in the heart. And that when he does his work in the heart, the mouth will overflow all that belief in the heart. See, there's, I guess as I look at the woman at the well, and as I think about what Jesus did with her, and then what she went and did for an entire town, this phrase is coming to mind. Only the quenched can rescue the parched. Only those whose thirst has been satisfied because they've placed their trust in Jesus and his work on the cross on our behalf. Only those who've been quenched can go be part of the rescue of the parched. Did you see Death Valley this week? 134 degrees, 134 degrees. Death Valley, if you've ever driven through there, there's a giant thermometer and I'll close with this as the worship team comes back out. 
But there's a giant thermometer there in Death Valley. And at the base of this thermometer, there are four or five gas stations. And we used to stop there when we would take the youth group out to California. And we would pray that the bus would start up again in all that heat. But if you were to walk in the gas stations there, there are walls and walls of bottles of water. And yet after hours of sitting on a bus with teenagers and everybody sweating and losing water, you know what we saw over and over and over teenagers do? They'd go in, walk right past the water, and what do you think they bought? Energy drinks and soda. Which when you drink them, what do they do? Quick shot energy, quick shot of excitement, and then they dehydrate you. And they make parched people even more parched because parched people lose perspective. And so, as we walk through this valley, this life is a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're asked to sit there in Death Valley as the heat rises and as people come through and give them living water, water that we've found because we've been quenched. And so as we wrap up, my prayer is this, that you would come to know, regardless of the stage you're in or the stage the people in your life are in, that you and they would come to know the quenched thirst of knowing Jesus and trusting in him. It's only in that way that we can engage our mission to the parched. Let me pray and we'll close with a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you over and over and over for your reminder that you created us in your image. Sin distorted that image and instead of stopping it from happening, you paved the way for something even greater, your decision for our redemption. And so I pray it's out of that, out of the overflow of that, that we would gain and you would show us this spring of living water that wells up to eternal life and that we would go, give us eyes to see those who need to be pointed to the source of that water. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.